Amen. We'll take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm so thankful for the opportunity God has given us to walk through this chapter. As we've been going through the book of Hebrews for a while, but have kind of slowed down a little bit at chapter 11. We want to learn how to walk by faith. I mean, that's it. We, we want to learn um, to not be those who just make a decision of faith but those who choose to walk by faith because Hebrews 12 says the righteous, those who know God, well, they walk by faith. They, they live by faith. And we are not, as it says in Hebrews 10, those who shrink back. We are those who persevere. And God is calling us as individuals and as a church to keep walking by faith, moment by moment, step by step, walking with him. And Hebrews 11 is teaching us how to do that. I'll never forget my first Christmas at Andrea's house. Um, we came to the end of the Christmas meal and Andrea's dad, I remember exactly, was sitting right here to my left. He said, um, well, it's the end of the meal. I want us to take some time to, to bless mom. So Andrea's mom was at the other end of the table and when he said that, I had no idea what he meant. I had no idea what this was gonna look like or what we were about to do. And I kind of felt like I was already on thin ice and was just thankful to be in the family and get Andrea. And, and I didn't wanna blow it at this moment. And so I start feeling a little bit of pressure and then everybody stands up and they all go over to mom and they lay hands on her. And I'm just like going through the catalog of any biblical blessing I can remember. And I know Psalm 67, God be gracious to us and bless us. And then the only other one I think of is be fruitful and multiply. But that did not seem appropriate at the moment. Only two I could think of. And I was, I was, if somebody else used something, I was going with fruitful and multiply. Like it was all I had. In my basket of blessings, that's all I had. And so I just, I just watched and listened. As Andrea and three boys and dad just laid hands on mom. And it was really more of a time of, of affirmation. Of thanksgiving, of encouragement. It was just a lot of God, we're so thankful for mom and we're so thankful for her love and her sacrifice and all that she has done for us. And, and God, we just pray that these days would be wonderful for her and God, you would take care of every need that she has and, and that she would feel that she is loved and treasured and God help us to know. And it was just like 10 minutes of just the most powerful thing I'd ever seen. Just the power of, of experiencing that kind of blessing made a huge impact on me. What I'm praying that God would do this morning is that the ladies in our church would have that kind of powerful moment today. That you would feel this morning blessed of the Lord and valued by the Lord and by your church. We have a wonderful opportunity to talk about some of the great women of faith from Hebrews 11. But even more than that, I, I wanna go beyond that and just to remind you ladies, you sisters in the Lord, how much we need you and love you. I really have this story in my heart this morning. I, I felt it first thing Monday morning when I woke up, it surprised me. I wasn't intending to go this direction. Uh, but as I looked at this little story that we have in Hebrews 11, I, I wanted to say more than that. I really wanted you to feel deeply the power of the blessing of the Lord and the church upon your life, ladies. Now, I will tell you, I, I kind of have two conflicting feelings this morning. On one hand, I feel really excited. I feel emotional. I was very emotional in the first service and I just, I really, really, really deeply just want you ladies to feel loved and treasured this morning. 
at the same time, I, I also have this little feeling like I'm about to walk through a minefield. I'm just being honest. And like there's a potential in this kind of sermon for me to say something that I didn't mean and, and for it to be taken in some way I didn't mean. And for me to get emails that say, well, pastor, why did you say that? And why didn't you say that? And I can't believe you used that word. And God, what, well, pastor, what did you mean by this? So I'm feeling, I'm just being honest, I'm feeling that, okay? So in order to diffuse that, let me tell you right now all that I'm trying to do this morning, okay? Are you listening? The only thing I'm trying to do this morning is to say this, listen. Throughout the story that God has recorded for us in scripture, there is a long line of godly, strong, courageous, faithful women. And the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ cannot make it without them. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. We have a wonderful example of that from this little story of, of Rahab. If you have your Bibles in the year in Hebrews 11, she's just mentioned in, in one little verse there in verse 31, and her story is incredible. It's hugely significant. You know, we, we try to think of the Bible as, as a story, right? This is a continuous story. We're still in that story, but this is a recording of the story of, of God and his people and how he works with his people. In the story of scripture, the moment of Rahab is a huge moment. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the greatest period of time in the history of God's people. Everything before this moment is leading up to this moment. And everything after this moment is up and down and mostly down. Like there's just a lot of disappointment after this moment. This is the climax of the Old Testament. This is as good as it gets for the people of God before Jesus comes. And you remember the situation. We talked about it last week a little bit. Moses has been called by God to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And God had given a promise to Abraham that one day his people would be in his land with his blessing and they are journeying there. But in order to get there, they must get out of slavery. And so Moses is called by God to lead them out. He leads them out of slavery, miraculously leads them across the Red Sea, and they're headed to the promised land. But they don't make it. And they don't make it because they're faithless generation. They, they, they continue to grumble and complain. And even immediately after they get out of slavery, they start to question whether God can do anything for them. They've seen God time and time again, but they just, they just don't trust the Lord. Moses even has a moment where he fails to trust the Lord. And because of all of that, God says this to that generation, none of this generation can enter the promised land. Even Moses. You're a faithless generation. You grumble, you complain, you have not trusted me. And so none of you will enter the promised land. There are only two exceptions. And that's Joshua and Caleb, the two men sent by Moses to spy out the land who believed that they could take the land and wanted to go, but the whole nation turned against them. Those two could enter the land. And so you come to the end of Exodus and it's really disappointing to be honest with you. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is just there, there they are just wandering for years in the desert. And then you come to Joshua. And Joshua is the one who's been called by God to lead the people into the promised land. And at the end of the book, you're gonna find exactly what God has promised. God's people in God's place with God's blessing, exactly how it was supposed to be. And I love the story of Joshua. I preached it here a couple of years ago. And I, I love Joshua himself. 
He's my favorite character of the Old Testament, not just because I'm named after him, but I, I just, I love everything about him. I love the fact that he is a directional leader and what God has called him to do is lead people into receiving the best that God has for them. And I just pray all the time that in some very small way, God would allow me to be a Joshua at Prince Avenue, like to lead you to take hold of everything that God has to experience his best, to no longer wander in the generations of grumbling, but to go in and to take possession of everything God has for you. That just, that fires me up, okay? That's what I want for you. That's who I wanna be. But even more than that, Joshua is the greatest picture of Jesus that we have in the Old Testament. He's the greatest picture. So you have all of these men that are pointing us forward to Jesus, Abraham and, and Noah and Elijah. They're just pointing us forward to something about Jesus. But Joshua is the greatest picture of Jesus that we have. No one even comes close. And yet, he's not mentioned in Hebrews 11. In this great legacy of faithful men, for some reason, his name is never mentioned, but someone else's is. And if you're there in Hebrews 11, verse 30, say amen. Look at what it says. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And so while Joshua is not mentioned, Rahab is. Now, it's interesting because in some ways, her story is really brief, particularly in light of the whole story of what God is doing, but significant enough to be listed here for us in, in Hebrews 11. And the story can be found in, in Joshua chapter 2. God has called Joshua to lead the people in to the promised land. And first, Joshua sends some spies into the land to check out the land. And, you know, Jericho is the walled city. And so these spies go in and uh, begin to kind of search it out and see what they needed to do. But here's the interesting thing. The spies come back and give a report eventually. And then you see what God calls the people to do. And you realize the spies really didn't help. Like they didn't need what the spies told them in order to know how to defeat Jericho, they defeated Jericho by this supernatural moment where they marched around the city and blew trumpets. I don't think the spies came back and said, okay, we've searched it out, here's what we need to do. We're gonna march around a bunch and blow trumpets. No, they came back and God said, okay, here's how we're gonna do it. I think the spies went in for a more significant reason. I think they went in, first of all, to come back and to remind the people we can't take this city without the Lord. But even more significantly, to remind the people at this moment, as they're about to enter into this territory and take down city after city after city after city, that anyone can be saved if they'll simply trust the Lord. And you get that story from Rahab. Because these spies come into the land and they're looking for a place to stay. Now, they're thinking to themselves, where can we stay that wouldn't be too obvious? Where could we go where no one might notice? And they have an idea that maybe it would be a good idea to go to this lady Rahab's house because there's guys always going in and out of that place. Visitors always going in and out. And it seems like that would be a place where we could go and no one would seem to notice this. And so they, they do, they go there. But it wasn't long after they go there that there's a knock on the door because the king had already heard that the spies had come in. And for some reason, we have no idea how 
the king knows that they're gonna be at Rahab's house. And so here's Rahab with these two spies in her house and she, she doesn't know anything. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and the spies are wondering what's gonna happen. And in the most amazing thing, Rahab decides to hide the spies and she's gonna protect them. And the spies are hearing everything that goes on. I mean, this is a tense moment because here's the thing. If you're the spies, you're wondering, first of all, would Rahab risk her life for these spies? And why would she? I mean, why would she risk her life and the life of her family to protect these two men she doesn't even know? And let's just say she decides to risk her life for it. Can she pull it off? Like, can she look these soldiers in the eye and lie to them and convince them that the men aren't there? And I gotta tell you, she plays it beautifully. Like Oscar-winning performance. She looks right at the soldiers when they come in and she goes, yeah, they were here. No, they were just here. They just left. They went outside the city gates. And I think if you hurry, you can catch them. To which the soldiers go, okay. And they leave. They literally walk out and they run outside the city gates and the gate closes, which means those soldiers are out looking everywhere just because Rahab gave them that little tip. And then the uh, spies are still there in Rahab's house. And here's what it says that happens. It says, after that moment in Joshua chapter two, Rahab goes up to the roof where she had hid the spies. This is in Joshua two, starting in verse eight. I'm gonna read a few verses here. It says this. She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. That's exactly what happens. She lets them down across the walls. They leave the city and they say to her, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to tie a scarlet red, a red little ribbon on the window. And when we come in to destroy the rest of the nation, we'll save you if we see the scarlet red pointing us both backwards to the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the door and forward to the blood of Jesus Christ, the means by which we're always saved. They come in and they take the land and they save Rahab and her family. Now, the point of the story in the whole storyline of scripture and the point in, in Hebrews 11 and the point in Joshua 2 is the power of being saved by faith. The power of faith to save us. The entire story is about salvation from beginning to end. There's so much that is said here and so important for us to get this at this moment about what it means to be saved. And the truth is, if we didn't have this little moment, we'd read through Joshua and be really concerned about the character of God. But we don't have to be 
because of what this story tells us about being saved. I mean, think about this. First of all, this story tells us why everyone needs to be saved. (laughs) This is a story of the love and the mercy and the wrath and the justice of God all in one. So it says in Hebrews 11, 31, that the people were disobedient. And it says that they were going to perish. And Rahab knew that they were going to perish. And you wonder how it is that God can go into a nation like this and just destroy the whole nation. And even more so, how God can then go to nation after nation after nation and destroy all of them. And to be honest with you, if you read Joshua, you do get concerned about the character of God. Because there's a lot of justice and a lot of wrath and the people of God are just systematically marching through this promised land that was to be theirs and destroying all these nations. You think, well, how in the world could God do that? And the answer is this. These were disobedient nations who had been given an opportunity to respond to the Lord, but they continued to harden their heart and rebel. And as they rejected the offer to be saved, they received what God said they were gonna receive what everyone receives who rejects the mercy and love of God in Jesus, and that is the justice and wrath of God. So God does pour out his wrath and justice on all these evil nations, but they all have an opportunity to be saved. You say, how do we know that? We know that because of Rahab. Because Rahab knew that she was going to perish, and she knew that the city that she lived in was going to be destroyed. She knew the wrath and the justice of God was coming, but she also knew that God was merciful and gracious and she could be saved. But the reason we need to be saved is because this story reminds us every single person who rejects the offer of the grace and love of God will experience the justice and wrath of God. That's why you need to be saved. This story also tells us how we get saved. How we get saved. Did you notice when I was reading from Joshua, how many times it says the word heard? Rahab kept saying, we've heard, we've heard, we've heard. They heard what God did when he delivered the people out of Egypt. He heard what they did to Pharaoh's army. He heard that the Red Sea had parted. The entire nation had heard. Listen, it says everyone's heart melted when we heard. We were afraid of your God when we heard what he had done. And so think about this. Everyone in Jericho had heard what God was able to do but only one person believed. It's not enough to hear. It's not even enough to be able to recite. There's a lot of people that can recite the gospel, who've heard the gospel, who will go to hell. It's not just enough to hear. It's not just enough to know because all of Jericho had heard. But what is different is this. Rahab not only heard, she believed. And not only did she believe, she asked to be saved. She said to them, listen, we've heard and and I believe actually that you're gonna come and destroy this nation, but I don't wanna be destroyed. And she made a choice right at that moment to listen, to reject her people and to side with the people of God. And she not only heard and believed, she acted in faith. She did exactly what they told him to do. They said, listen, put the cord on the window. She put the cord on the window. And when everyone else was being destroyed, Rahab and her family were saved. Why? Because she trusted and followed the Lord. That's how we get saved. (laughs) The way we get saved is we know that we deserve the wrath and justice of God because of our sin. 
But God, who is abounding in steadfast love and kindness, is giving us an opportunity to be saved if you will simply trust the Lord and choose by faith to follow him. To say, Lord, I don't want it. I don't want to perish. I want to be saved. And I'm trusting Jesus Christ alone as the payment for my sins, and I'm choosing to side with the people of God. The story is here to remind us that that's how we've always gotten saved. We've always gotten saved by trusting the Lord. And Rahab did that. You know what's most significant? This story is here to tell us who can be saved. I mean, I, I, I don't know why we have that little detail of what she did for a living. It seems kind of embarrassing. They mention it in Joshua and, you know, we get to Hebrews 11 and we think, well, maybe they wouldn't have to mention that word again. But they use the word again to make it very clear that this is what she did for a living. And, you know, I have this like deep conviction that kids need to be in the room on Sunday morning and not in children's church watching a puppet show. And so because of that, uh, we come to moments like this where I got to be a little bit careful. But I think you know what Rahab did for a living. Okay, we know this. It just keeps bringing it up. I think about Rahab, and I'll be honest with you, here's, here's what I think about Rahab. I wonder what happened in Rahab's life to bring her to the point to do that for a living. Like, I, I, know, I know she's responsible for her own decisions. All of us are, right? So no matter what we choose to do, we're responsible. Nobody forces us to do so. We, just, we are responsible for our own decisions, but I just have to wonder what happened in Rahab's life. I wonder about her dad. I wonder about her mom. I wonder if it was a family business. I wonder if she was sold into this business. Can you just imagine the shame and the pain and the guilt that Rahab feels, not only because of what she's experienced in the past, but what she's doing in the present. This was a woman who was very hurt, who was deeply wounded, who had tons of pain and baggage. And you're in this amazing moment of scripture. Think about this. I mean, this is like, this is the moment in which things start moving the, the fastest in all of the Old Testament. And we're really thankful because we just got out of like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. And all of a sudden it starts picking up pace and the narrative is moving and God's about to keep his promises. And while we're watching this story unfold, it's as if God stops and says this, I would like to interrupt the regularly scheduled programming to make an announcement. Here's the announcement. God can save anybody. So before we get to the rest of Joshua, and we see all of these people being destroyed, we go back to Joshua 2 and remember, God can save anybody. We remember that as the news goes to town to town, every one of those towns had the opportunity to stop like Rahab and, did and say, we want to be joined with the people of God. Would you save us? And God would have. And the reason Rahab is chosen is to let us know that there is no one beyond being saved. That's why she's the one. And there are people here this morning that feel so much guilt and so much shame and have so much baggage. Some of it you've brought up on yourself. Some of it you were born into, but you still carry it. And you wonder if there is any way that God can restore you, that God can redeem you, if God can make something beautiful of your life. And I want you to know Rahab exists so that you will know that the answer is absolutely yes. And it's not just that he saved her, like that would be great. But he used her to save the family. Her mother was saved, her father was saved, her brother and sisters were saved. Her entire household was saved because of her decision to walk by faith. You wanna talk about the power of a courageous woman. 
Her whole family was saved because of what she did. But it's more than that. God completely restored her life. If you have your Bible, look at Matthew chapter one for just a minute with me. Matthew chapter one, one of your favorite books and chapters of the Bible because of this wonderful genealogy. Tons of options for good baby names. And we're so excited because we just came out of 400 years of silence, like God hadn't said anything. And, and there is a little glimmer of hope at the end of Malachi, but yet there's a lot of just depressing stuff in the prophets and minor prophets. And God is silent for a long time. And finally, after 400 years, God speaks. And the first thing he gives us is a genealogy. He says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. You say, well, why does this matter? Because what Matthew is doing is preparing us to know that when Jesus comes, he's the son of Abraham, the son of promise. He's preparing us to know that he is the son of David. He has royal, kingly blood running through his veins. That he is the son of a priest of Azar and Zadok to know that he has priestly blood running through his veins. He is the promised prophet, priest, and king. And we know that this is a royal, glorious bloodline filled with kings and priests and prophets. So Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by, what's the next word? Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Now, you know what that means? That means that not only was Rahab saved from destruction, but Rahab joined the people of God. And it means that some point after she joined the people of God, there was some noble man in Israel that said, that said I want to marry that one. And some men married her and cherished her and loved her and looked beyond all of the past and all of the baggage and chose her to be. And it came back into the people of God and she was a stranger and she had no hope to be brought into the people of God. There was nothing good that was gonna happen to Ruth. And all of a sudden she meets this noble and strong and faithful man named Boaz. Let me just say something. In a generation of godless buffoon men, 
we need some Boazes. He was noble. Man, he was noble. He did what is right. He did the hard thing. He redeemed Ruth. He did something so incredibly sacrificially and he did it in such a pure hearted way. And he restored Ruth's dignity by marrying her. And then they had a son that had a son that had King David. And you think, Boaz, how did you get to be such a godly man? Because I had a great mom. I had a great mom. Her name was Rahab. You think God can't restore your life? You think there's something in your past that is so bad that God can't take it and make something beautiful out of it? And the reason her story is here is to let you know right now that God can not only save you and redeem you, he can make something beautiful out of the mess that you have inherited or the mess that you've made. This is a story of salvation and redemption and restoration. But as I came to this text, I just didn't feel like I could come to the story of Rahab and leave it just at that. I mean, there's enough to be said there that is good and right for every man and woman and boy and girl in the room to know that God wants to save you no matter what. No matter what secret you're hiding, God wants to save you. But I wanted to make sure that you knew. Listen, ladies, listen to me. I wanted to make sure you knew that that she is just one example of a long line of godly, strong, courageous, and faithful women. That throughout scripture, we have this record of all of these incredible women who have this amazing amount of courage and strength and dignity, and they do incredible things for the kingdom of God. I just think about some of them. I, I think about Sarah, who, whose husband comes home one day and said, I got a vision from the Lord and he wants us to leave everything and move. But here's the good news. He's gonna give us lots of kids and a great new land. And 20 years later, she wakes up with no baby living in a tent. But, but she's faithful and, and, and she goes. And what we realize is that Abraham seems to get all this attention. But listen, we don't have Isaac without Sarah. Like we don't have the story of Abraham without this faithful, godly, strong, courageous woman who says, yes, I'll leave everything and I'll go with you. And God finally fulfills his promise. She is this faithful woman. I think about Naomi. I think about how she follows her rebellious husband away from the people of God, taking her into a dangerous situation. Listen, he is godless and rebellious and he leads his wife and two kids away from God, away from the people of God. And she goes with him and then he dies, leaving her in a faraway land. Then her two sons die, leaving her with two daughter-in-laws. And she is in a foreign land with no protection, no help, no one to watch over her, a very dangerous situation in that context. And the only thing she can do, having inherited tons of baggage because of her husband who made bad decision after bad decision, in one of the greatest displays of courage and strength, she just walks back home. When she gets there, she goes, don't call me blessed. Don't call me Naomi. Call me, call me ashamed of God. She felt absolutely, she says, call me Mara, the despised of God. She felt as if God had completely rejected her, but she just walks back home. And you know what happens step by step through Ruth? God just restores and redeems her life. I think about Ruth and all that she did as she left her home and went and 
saw God restore her. I think about Esther, whose faith and strength and courage saved an entire nation. I think about, I think about sweet Hannah, who just who wants a baby so bad, and she goes outside of the temple and she just gets on her face before God. She weeps for a baby, and Eli, the prophet, sees her and thinks she's drunk. So get up. She says, no, I'm not, I'm not drunk. I'm praying, I'm praying for a baby. And so Eli finally blesses her and she receives a baby. Listen, all she wanted is a baby. You know what she does? She gives that baby to Eli as a servant of the Lord and allows him to be raised as a prophet. What, what kind of strength does it take to pray for the child and give the child over to the Lord? These strong, courageous, godly, faithful women. He turned to the New Testament, a time in which women were completely devalued. Their voice didn't matter. They were worse than second-class citizens in that society. And then Jesus comes along, and he restores the dignity of women. And you see, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, from the very beginning, that Jesus has come to restore the dignity of these women who felt that they had nothing to say or nothing to offer. And here's Elizabeth, this blameless, godly woman who receives John the Baptist. There's Mary, who as a teenage girl receives this news that she's gonna have a baby. Then she prays this prayer filled with more Old Testament than maybe any of the rest of us know. Because she knew the Lord and she walked with the Lord and she responds with joy. And then we read about Martha and Mary and we see in the actions of Mary, that no one else teaches us really how to worship Jesus like Mary does. The disciples do not teach us how to love Jesus the way that Mary does. She takes her most valuable possession and pours it upon Jesus. She sits and worships him at Jesus' feet and Martha is there ready to serve Jesus. We don't get this from any of the men. We see a, a love and a passion and a tenderness from these women that no one else shows us. Then you get to Luke 8 and you see that in the inner circle of Jesus is these 12 disciples. But did you know that there are three women who've been delivered from demonic spirits who are supporting the ministry of Jesus? Most people think that one of those ladies received some kind of an inheritance. Instead of using that inheritance to survive without a husband, they used it to support the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. And all of a sudden you, you kind of wake up to this reality that, that you don't have the ministry of Jesus without these courageous women. And then go to the cross where Peter just ran away because he was terrified of being asked by a little servant girl if he knew Jesus. And all the disciples were hiding, shaking, afraid for their life. And Mary and Mary Magdalene do not leave the cross. And they go to the tomb and they come to anoint Jesus. And they're the first ones to meet the resurrected Jesus. They're the first ones that see him. They're the first ones that touch him. And what you have in the ministry of Jesus is Jesus restoring the dignity of women. He is showing us once again that throughout the kingdom of God, there is this long line of godly, faithful women. And the church and the kingdom desperately needs them. And ladies, listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. What I'm saying to you is this. Is there has always been this line of just really strong, courageous women oftentimes with much more strength and courage than the men. And they love the Lord. And they walk by faith. And what I want you to hear from me this morning is this. The kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ desperately needs you. We desperately need you. We need you to know your value. We need you to know your worth. We need you to strive to be these kind of women because nothing happens without you.
Like the kingdom doesn't advance, the church doesn't work unless a new generation of these strong and courageous and faithful godly women rise up and say, we're ready, God. What do you have for us? And everything that God is doing in the kingdom and everything God is doing in the church depends upon another generation of these type of women. And listen to me. God has given me four four daughters. I love being a dad to girls and I love it. I love that Josiah and I get to protect all these women. I want these girls to be raised in a church where they know that they are valued and loved and blessed and where they know that the work of God in the church and in the kingdom depends upon them. And I want them to be strong and courageous and godly Faithful women. I want them to know that they have upon them the blessing of God, the blessing of their dad, and the blessing of the church at Prince Avenue. So here's what I want us to do this morning. In just a minute, we're going to stand and, and we're going to sing, and we're going to have pastors and prayer partners here because listen, men and women, boys and girls, don't close their books yet. Hold on. Men and women, boys and girls, this is not just a sermon for women. The reality is there are some of you that have so much shame that you really have come to believe that maybe God can't do anything with you. And I wanna say to you, that's absolutely not true. And we wanna help you know how to start this new life of faith with Jesus Christ. And so when we stand, would you please immediately come? But here's the next thing we're gonna do. Ladies, would you just take these moments to pray that God would help you to know his favor and his blessing upon your life? Would you pray that God would develop in your heart the the resolve to be a courageous, faithful, godly woman? Even like Rahab, when no one else believes, would you believe and be strong? Would you know that like Rahab, generations depend upon your faithfulness? Would you pray that God would help you to be one of those ladies? Let me tell you another thing we're gonna do when we stand. Some of you may have a lady that's come with you this morning that just needs that blessing. You may go across the room, whatever you need to do. There's a lot of movement in the first service. And as we stand and sing, what I want some of you men to do, if you can, some of you ladies want to be able to do it for each other and did that in the first service. Lay your hands upon maybe that lady that you need to and just pray a blessing over her. Just pray for her. Just by the act of just putting your hands upon her, there's something significant about that to know that she is valued and loved and cherished. It's gonna be hard for some of you, but I wanna encourage you to do that. I'm gonna ask in a minute when we stand that my girls from over this section would come over here and I wanna pray for my girls. Josiah and I wanna lay hands on them. If you can do that this morning, I wanna encourage you to do that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.